HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. World Central Kitchen is serving thousands of fresh meals to Ukrainian families fleeing home, as well as people remaining in the country. This week on Let's Talk About Food, host Louisa Kasdan spoke with Henry Patterson about his upcoming relief trip. So you're going to Poland, and I think you told me you're going to be there for at least two weeks. I'm going to Poland to help feed Ukrainian refugees. With Jose Andreas's World Central Kitchen, I decided that's what I wanted to do for my 70th birthday. I leave in just a few days. We all see that what the Russians are doing is contemptible. As a food person, we all love to help. It's in our DNA. And here are people who really need our help. So if you want to help the Ukrainian refugees, either with money or even your hands and heart, find hashtag Chefs for Ukraine and World Central Kitchen. We have to do something. We can help. Remember, hashtag Chefs for Ukraine. Welcome to Pizza Quest. I'm Peter Reinhardt a man on a never-ending search for the perfect pizza. This show is the audio version of the Pizza Talk YouTube series, where I engage in interesting conversations with some of the country's greatest pizza makers and other artisans. Thanks for joining me on this quest. Welcome to a very special edition of Pizza Talk. Very excited about this one. Uh, we're back with Dan Richer, uh, but today he's going to be making something. The whole episode's about making something unique and special, and really this is a result of, a, of an Instagram post that our producer Brad English saw, and he kind of like went ballistic over, and he said, we've got to get him to make this for us, and uh, that's how it all started, and I saw the photo, and man, we're just hungry. So this is, a, if I'm not mistaken, you're going to be making the meatball sub that you posted on Instagram? Is that the... Uh, yeah, we're going to start with making the bread, as okay. a good sandwich starts with good bread. Exactly, and you're using your pizza dough for the for the bread? Uh, this is the schedule slightly different. We let it bulk ferment significantly more than we do oh. for pizza, build up a little bit more strength and, and, uh, and gas before we shape it. Uh, and obviously the shaping is different. We, we do a, a pre-shape, uh, a, a gentle ball pre-shape, and then we roll it into these into just a, like a mini batard. Uh-huh. Uh, and then 
we tried doing it with this shape, the, you know, a mini batard, uh, but it wasn't ugly enough for me. <laughs> I like ugly bread. Uh, I like that too. Uh, we're going to like just completely change the shape at the last minute before it goes into the oven. Good. Well, you're going to take us through it, but before you do, is this something that you make regularly at Rasa? He started during the pandemic with the sandwich. Uh, it's something that we've been thinking about for years and experimenting with for years, um, but we never really had the, the time in our schedule with, um, with the oven temperature um, and the physical space. So we're able to do it now, which is great. Uh, so, uh, uh, so you make the meatballs uh, sub or hoagie on it, but oh, any other sandwiches besides meatball? Uh, yeah, we did a, a prosciutto sandwich, and we have maybe five or six in the in the pipeline, ready to ready to roll out. But we're going to do it slowly. Okay, good. Well, show us how you make your ugly bread because we love ugly bread. Yeah. So we took the um, the dough out. It was proofing. Free, free form in uh, dough trays, just because that's the only space that we have for storage. Um, then we're gonna brush a little bit of olive oil on each one. Uh, and I also didn't tell you, we actually flipped it upside down. Uh, so you mean after you pulled it out of the dough box, you flipped it over? Yeah. Okay, so you yeah, got yeah. seam side up now. Seam side up. Okay. And we always have issues with steam in, in the wood-fired oven. We can never generate quite enough for yeah. our liking. Our, our wood-fired oven has a, a pretty high dome, which we like for the pizza making, but for bread making, it makes it difficult to generate enough steam. Uh -huh. So the, does the oil help to take the place of that? Exactly, all right. Yep. And with our final shape, it's also going to help it make it nice and ugly. <laughs> and I like the fact that it's, you know, not formed in like a very tight torpedo, like a baguette would be, or a little Italian roll, but more like a ciabatta in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely our own thing. It's not, um, it's similar to a ciabatta. I've taken a lot of inspiration from that, but I wanted it to be taller. Uh, so instead of just dimpling it, we're actually going to kind of stitch oh. the ends together okay, and create some, some textural components for the final loaf. Ah, interesting. And we're also reinforcing the gluten, so it'll, you know, after a nice long proof, it, yeah. it's still, it's going to give so that like nice on spring. If I could describe this to, in my language, it sounds like what you're doing is kind of like a, a gentle crimping uh, yeah. a, a, across the top of the loaf. It is a gentle crimp. A gentle crimp. Well, we got a new, a new word to add to our, our uh, lexicon now of terms. Yeah. We're also going to elongate them just slightly. So these those have been sitting overnight in the, uh, in the box? And again, as usual, made with uh, primarily natural leavening. This is 100% natural. No yeast, no commercial yeast, just natural leaven. No. Long, slow fermentation. Was it overnight or was it in a, in a refrigerator? This was refrigerated overnight. So we mixed at about two o'clock yesterday afternoon and we shaped about three hours later, maybe, maybe four hours later. 
Um, we're, just, we're looking for a, about 40% increase in volume during bulk fermentation. I see. When you do the uh, the crimping that you're doing, do you, do you find that it, you ever lose any gas or is it still firm enough that it kind of holds shape? Yeah, it kind of holds shape. I really want to try these in a, uh, a steam injection oven. Yeah, you got a big pop there, yeah. Yeah. But it sounds like basically like, like all, you know, artisan bakers and pizza makers, you basically work with what you've got and then you make it work. You find a method and a technique that adapts to the situation. And, and you embrace the, the, the difference between this and, you know, making just a, a guitar that you can get at pretty much any, any baker. Um, I'm, I'm always looking to create something unique that is a, a shape of bread that's never been, been seen before, which is kind of a lofty goal, but yeah. You know, I don't want my bread to look like anybody else's. Well, that's the reason why people get in the tube and shoot under the under the river to you know to to Jersey City. <laughs> it's destination bread. <laughs> yes. All right, so we just mop the oven with uh, some damp towels. Okay. Create a little bit of steam. Yeah, I can see a little steam coming out of there. Okay. We got rice flour. Okay. Baked seems baked crimp side up. Crimp side up. With the oil, with the little oil slick over the top. Yeah, I, and I like that the oil prevents it from sticking together completely. Right, it's right. Ugly. So it creates an intentional little flaw there that you then exploit by ma making it work for a sandwich. I wouldn't call it a flaw, I would call it a textural component. Yeah, all right. It didn't, it's intentional, so it can't be a flaw. Yeah. If it didn't, if it didn't perform funny, then it would be a flaw. Yeah. All right. Round two. Well, if any of you who are watching saw the Instagram post, or or you want to go to the uh, Raza Instagram page, you can probably see that that assembled sandwich up close to to to, to experience what got us all excited about wanting that have Dan make it for us. But now you get to see the whole process. Yeah. How long do they take to bake, Dan, the uh, the breads? Uh, about 11 minutes. It really depends on the temperature of the oven, and we have no control over that, really. <laughs> What's your ideal temp for this? Is about are you, are you up at about six or 700 degrees, or what? No idea. <laughs> We got one. We have one of those laser thermometers, and it just yeah. is not. It's not very accurate. Right, right. But it's hot, but it's hot. It's is it the same temperature that you bake your pizzas at? It's cooler. It's cooler. Yeah. So this um, has not been. We haven't built a fire since last night. Um, so. So you're really it's working off the residual heat. Yeah, but our oven is very well insulated. Just want to switch. Man, you're getting a lot of loaves in that in that small oven. Ah, uh, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, we'll be able to get about thirty. Thirty loaves and a bake—that's yeah. that's astounding. From this distance, at the, and from this shot, it looks like you wouldn't ha handle that many, but that's pretty cool. Now, yeah. I got it. While you while you're doing it, and while we're waiting for him to bake up, do you ever have you ever baked anywhere you actually put 
fillings or anything in it before you bake it? Did it almost like Stromboli style? Uh, we have a couple of ideas for calzones, calzones uh-huh. uh, but that's really the only uh, stuff thing that we do. Uh-huh. I had to ask because my mind's spinning away now. I'm seeing this dough and all the things that could possibly happen with that dough. Yeah, there, there are so many possibilities. That's why, one of the reasons why I still feel like I'm at the beginning of all this because yeah, yeah. there's so many ideas and so many possibilities. Well, that's part of what we love about what you're doing at Raza is, is that it's a never-ending discovery process for you and, and your customers are the beneficiaries of that. And we are because we're, we're, we benefit from learning all these new things and just <laughs> trying new, new things every day. Yes, yes. No, uh, no, all right. Unbelievable how many loaves you were able to get in. Yeah, we got them all. All right, now we got to go. Spray bottle. Spray bottle. Create a little more steam in there. Put the door on. Okay, good. Hot, wet towels. More steam, yeah. It creates humidity in there. Yeah. So it creates a nice tight seal. Yeah. Keep any humidity in, and it generates uh, a decent amount. Awesome. So that's so it's it probably arrived at all of this through trial and error and a little bit of applied knowledge. And yeah. Before you let know it, you have a, a system in place. I for for steam, I've tried everything from a. Uh, uh, a laundry steamer, like something you would steam a suit. Yeah. Uh, tried, oh, yeah. Good, yeah. yeah. I've tried the Gordon sprayer. Um, I kind of ruined an oven, adding too much steam to to the Did oven. Crack? A little bit. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. 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 I was wondering about that because I my first impulse would be to use one of those pumper steam, you know, garden steamers, but uh, too much. Then. Yeah. Too much is not good. You know, hot concrete basically and a ton of water is not a good uh, yeah yeah well with and of course each again the oven itself dictates what would be appropriate for that situation too yeah so one of these days you'll you probably have some friends locally with uh, bakeries with uh, with like steam injected uh, deck ovens where you maybe yeah. do a run I'm buying one You're buying one yeah oh my gosh where are you gonna put it we just leased the space next door so we're, we're in the yes. process of building that out, and that's going to have a, uh, a nice oven. Well, let, while we while we're waiting for these to bake, and we got a little bit more time on this in this segment, we're going to come back in segment two and actually see the finished product. But can you tell us a little bit about anything that we need to know about the prep and what happens in the next when they come out of the oven? Yeah. So when they come out of the oven, we're just going to uh, we're going to cut. We're gonna slice it down the top. We're gonna to re-toast it to get it a little bit more caramelized on the edges. And then we're gonna fill it with meatballs, burrata, and parmesan. Meatballs, burrata, burrata and parmesan. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. So that's gonna be oozy, cheesy, and amazing. Uh, and, and so you're getting the big oven uh, for next door. That means you're going to be going into a much bigger production operation and crank out more of these sandwiches, it sounds like. Yeah. 
Yeah, so we, we, can, we can only really get one round of baking in before the, the oven temp is a little too cold. Yeah. Uh, we could probably get a second one in, but we honestly just don't have enough time because we're prepping everything else too. Yeah. Yeah. We only have that one oven, so we've got to make, how many meatballs are you making today, Jonah? Uh, we're going to make about 400. We're making 400 meatballs after, after the bread comes out. So How many meatballs per sandwich? Uh, three. So there you go. So about 125, 130 sandwiches. Yeah. But, but in the future, the possibility of endless sandwiches. Endless. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, and another reason to get in the, what do you call that, 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 uh, tube that goes under the, uh, between path. The, the path. Yes. <laughs> I've never been on the path yet. So I want to ride it one of these days. It's but just I will. a subway. It's really just a, yeah, it's a subway that goes under the river. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like going under the English Channel, but uh, but it certainly has uh, changed. I think the transportation scene uh, in between the city and Jersey City and, and yeah, over I think it's just the people aren't afraid to get on it because it, it's just a subway with a different name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it, it, it and it makes everything possible. So uh, yeah, that's it's on my list for sure when I come to the city. Whenever that, whenever the cloud lifts, you know, I'll be there. You're gonna love it. So you got your meatballs going, and you and uh, and do you say there's some sauce that goes on there? Is it pizza sauce or a special sauce or what? Uh, it is the same tomatoes that we use, but you know, we and we treat them very similar, similarly. But we we obviously we cook the sauce for the meatballs, uh, whereas the pizza sauce goes on raw. So it's just tomatoes, a little bit of extra virgin olive oil, gently, gently cooked, and then we drop the uh, drop the meatballs in to finish cooking. Got it. All right. So, so you're pretty much all, you got all your mise en place done. You're ready to go. You got your cheese ready. And so now we're just waiting for the bread to come out. Yeah. Yeah. So in three minutes, we're going to check it. Um, we're going to pull off our, our hot, wet towels. Um, let all the steam escape because we want to, want it to then get a little bit crispy. Okay. Well, let, we'll hang in on this episode, on this segment, we'll hang in until, until the, the opening of the door, I love to see steam come out. It's very dramatic. We love bakers love when the steam gets released from the oven, and, yeah. uh, and we'll see where it is at in the you know in the process, and then maybe then we'll come back for the next segment where you pull them out and turn them into sandwiches. How how much cooling time does it take when you, when from when they come out of the oven till you can slice them open and use them? Well, ideally, we give, we give them an hour, but wow. we, it's it's really it's fine. You're still, for, you're, for this, we'll we'll be fine. So we okay, but, but I mean, give it a couple minutes to cool off and then slit them open. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, if you could pass them through the screen to us, and so I wish we, I could. Yeah, I know. we all do. Yeah. All right. So we must be getting close to that reveal. And yeah, uh, we got Nick Nick over here mixing pizza dough. Hey everyone. This is our second batch of the batch day. Yeah. So you got to do at least three batches a day. It sounds like from the volume that you're doing. Yeah, we do three. Man, that 300 pizzas a day, um, and you're only open for just a few hours a day. That means people are lining up. Uh, do they have a, t a pickup time? I think you told us when we talked last time that there's a, a general window for them to come, but they want to come at a time when the pizza's just coming out of the oven. So do you give them like an estimated time of We variety? give them a pretty accurate time. We got, you know, for the first week or so of uh, doing online ordering and takeout, we, we had to learn the system and, and it, its quirks. 
Um, so we can make sure that if we tell someone that your, your pizza is going to be ready at 5.03, that it's yeah. coming out of the oven at 5.02. Uh, <laughs> and what time do you open the doors for that? We do 3 o'clock until 8 or 8, 8 o'clock. We usually shut it off about then. So it's only 1 o'clock as we're filming this today. It's 1 o'clock in the afternoon, so you're still in kind of prep mode and, and getting everything ready. You're getting all your, your, your uh, buns baked for the sandwiches and, and – uh, and then getting all the doughs made for for tonight. Will these doughs that are being made today be used today, or will they be used tomorrow? They're going to be used tomorrow. We have all of our um, all of our wow trace. And and uh, again, just to refresh for those who didn't see the last episode, the once they once they're formed into into dough balls, do they go away overnight in the fridge, or do they sit out overnight for a very slow rise? Right now, they go into the refrigerator. Um, yes, in this heat, with this temperature, you can't really risk leaving them out all night. Yeah, you know, we, we can. I have so many different dough recipes, um, but I've found that the most consistent is doing this pretty standard uh, bulk fermentation at room temperature, divide, um, and then retard in in their shapes. You get by far the most even and consistent product that way. Okay. Um, yeah. But I we also have a same day dough, which is just a fantastic recipe, um, and it, it uses old dough as as the pre ferment. Uh huh. So we just need to save a certain amount of our our previous night's dough, um, and then we can. We can mix at 12 o'clock and it'd be ready at 6 o'clock. Not bad, not bad. Yeah, because the old dough gives it, really? it kind of ages the dough for you. Yeah. Quantum ages it, yeah. All right, we're ready. Go. Hey, Steph, can you hold this? Yeah. Oh, there's the steam, yeah. yeah. Nice blast. You want to make sure your face isn't too close to the door when you pull it out. And. Nice little little pop in the oven, right? A little oven spring. Yep. And still need for how many more minutes would you say before you get the, the color you're looking for? Um, I would say we're going to put it – we're, we're going to set the timer for about three more minutes and then change. Again? Okay. Well, why don't we do this? Why don't we take a break right now while, while you're waiting for these to finish up, and uh, we'll come back, uh, and all of us, you join us for the next segment of – uh, meepo, what do you call them? meepo subs, meepo hoagies? What do you call them in the venue? Yes. Meepo sandwiches. Meepo right from there would be called. What's that? Meepo parm. Meepo parm, but no, no sub. The word sub doesn't appear on there. Yeah. Not for us, but really we would call them hoagies. They're definitely not grinders. The grinders, yes. They're not ones. grinders. Definitely. Not. All right, <laughs> but whatever you call them, it's going to be meatballs and parm and deliciousness. And we'll be back in a few minutes with Dan Richer at Rasa in Jersey City, New Jersey. Uh, can't wait to see the finished product. Join us in the next round. We'll be right back with more Pizza Quest right after this break. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. 
Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Are you a business owner? This spring, amplify your business and support HRN's mission by becoming a business member. HRN is dedicated to spotlighting small businesses that keep our communities vibrant. With a $500 business membership, HRN can shine a light on your work and you can help sustain our mission to transform the way people think about food. As a thank you for this tax-deductible donation, your business will receive on-air mentions, social media posts, listings on our website, and more. You will also play an essential role in keeping nonprofit food radio on the air. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash biz to become a business member today. That's heritageradionetwork.org slash B-I-Z. All right, welcome back to Pizza Talk. We're with Dan Richer at Raza in uh, Jersey City, just over the over the river or under the river from from Manhattan, uh, making his well. We'll just have to use the phrase the ugly, delicious <laughs> meatball a parm sandwich grinder. <laughs> <laughs> and but we want to see how ugly this bread has has be, has turned out uh, when when it comes out. We want to see why it's ugly and and why being ugly is such a good thing. Right. It's very good over here, but. So we, so it's a very rustic-looking loaf, essentially. Yeah, and we're 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 still working to make it uglier. <laughs> we were just having a conversation do. about how uh, these look a little a little too perfect, a little too nice. And you don't want any of them to look exactly the same as the other ones. But uh, what is the what what would you do to make it more ugly? What could, what do you think you need to do? I I think I need to increase the hydration to make it a little bit more difficult to work with so that the flaws of our, of our hand movements make it a little uglier. So, um, yeah. That's the first thing I'm going to try. Uh, and then it, that's a, then the tricky balance the, between not enough or too much, you know, where's the, where's the sweet spot? Yeah. So we'll, we'll start increasing the hydration of it probably today. Uh, and we'll, we'll slowly work up. You know, we're not going to just increase it by 5% all at once. We'll work our way up with maybe maybe 2% and then another two and then another two until we get to that sweet spot. Can you get close on one of those again? Remember, we in the when you were putting them together, you were crimping the top to kind of like, again, enhance the, the uh, randomness of it in a sense. Um, and let's see how that sort of played out in the final bake. So the crimp almost disappears. It becomes almost like a like a like a score. Like it's like you scored it. 
Yeah. So we started by scoring these and they just, they looked too, they looked too French. Yeah. Too commercial in a way. Yeah. But now they got the, they've got the split like you would get from scoring, but it's, it's again, back to the ciabatta analogy. It's more ciabatta like. Yeah. Yeah. So I think if we had more steam, the crimps would have opened a little bit differently. Yeah. So I'm really curious to see how these come out uh, in a in a steam injection oven. Well, I think one of the other tricks that you showed us was you know rubbing some oil on the top. And another way I, I just throw this out for your trial and error is uh, is to put a little bit more oil into the into the crimp uh, or you know and into the seam so to speak yeah. because I, like you said where the oil is it doesn't hold together and it will open up and that's what enhances that split. Yeah. So I know that for some breads that I do, like loaf breads even, where you kind of put a little sl uh, score down the top so that you get a, a split top on a sandwich loaf, if you rub a little bit of oil, olive oil or vegetable into that into that score, then it really opens up even more so. It kind of puckers hey. open. Yeah. So, so when you throw that, if, you, if it works and you use it, then I want you to name a sandwich after me. That's one of my, it's on my, on my bucket list. I have a sandwich named after me. <laughs> What would be on your sandwich? Uh, that's a good question because let's talk about it because uh, we want to talk about what makes a great sandwich because we all have like, you know, our, our theories and philosophies of what makes a great sandwich. Uh, I'm actually working on a sandwich book concept. And, and so I think about sandwiches a lot. When we talk with Nancy Silverton, uh, who has written a book on sandwiches and of course is obsessed with sandwiches herself, she talked about some of the same principles that are dear to me, like, like how air is an ingredient in a sandwich, oh. building, you know, and not everybody thinks about that when they see a Subway sandwich being put together with just slices of meat layered on top of each other and no curls, no, no spacing in between. So that's one thing that I, you know, I kind of believe in, but what about you? you, you know, I'm, I'm the same way. Negative space is so important for, uh, for a lot of the things that we do. We talk about that in relation to pizza, of course, with um, the air creating texture and, and yeah. crispness. We, we talk about air with our meatballs and when we're making our meatballs. Oh. So he's, he's rolling lots of meatballs right now. And first of all, we try to keep them really ugly. Yeah, uh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So they have uh, uh, another textural component. Uh, but also the airiness comes from the, um, the bread that we use inside the meatballs. Uh, so one of one of the things about our meatballs is we don't use bread crumbs. Um, we use big chunks of bread, wow. and, we, wow. and we we soak the bread in the buttermilk that we get from the butter making process. Because you're making your own butter too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, we make our butter. We get buttermilk as a byproduct. We take big chunks of our day old bread and we soak it in the buttermilk to um, soften it up and and and. All the all that airiness from the crumb of the bread yeah. creates airiness and lightness in our meatballs. What kind of meat do you use in the meatball? What's your meat? What's your meat? What's your meat blend? Uh, we're fifty-fifty beef and pork. Beef and pork. Okay, good. And and is it a kind of a coarse ground? It looks like from here that the meat's coarse. It's not. It's not finely ground. It's not. It's not too fine. Um, and all the animals are naturally and locally raised. So it, we get such incredible flavor from that. Yeah. All we, all we add is uh, a little bit of egg, salt, pepper, Parmesan cheese, 
um, a little bit of onion, and that's it. And the bread. Yeah, and the bread. Super well, important. And very high ingredient for a lot of meatballs is just whether it's bread crumbs or panko, or in your case, you know, buttermilk soaked bread chunks. Uh, it's that's a that's a big component of what makes a meatball different than say a burger. Definitely, definitely. All right. So we got the meat. We got right. uh, okay. So so we're talking about sandwiches and uh, and what makes a great sandwich. So obviously the quality of the ingredients and the way you handle them and the air both in the bread and in the meatballs in this case and or the way you assemble a sandwich to create negative. I love that negative space. That's a great term. Yeah. It's like a black and white photo, right? Without the negative space, it would, it would, there would be no contrast. And contrast is super important from yes. a textural standpoint and a mouthfeel and just how it, how it creates enjoyment. Yeah, and we, in, in our culinary classes, like it's places like Johnson & Wales where I teach, uh, the concept of contrast is so vital and so important. Uh, that, and very few students come in thinking about that until it's pointed out to them is the power of contrast. Yeah. So, so yeah. you're applying that there. Oh, uh, I mean, in so many ways from the actual meatballs, but also to how, how we assemble the sandwich. Uh, so you want to get started? Yeah, let's do one. All right. So we're actually going to cut the sandwich instead of horizontally. Yeah. We're going to cut into it vertically. Of course. So well, why would you do it like everybody else? You've got to do it the <laughs> <laughs> exactly um, yeah because I you know I I love lobster rolls yeah and I love how how it feels to eat them where you're picking them up and biting into it kind of on a downward trajectory yeah, yeah. and it it makes it less messy um, and especially for a messy sandwich like a meatball a meatball sandwich yeah. If we slit it horizontally, you're just going to get sauce everywhere. This creates a nice trough. Yes. And, and oh, and we can see the beautiful texture in those rolls now. Yeah. Got a big, open, irregular crumb, which is the, what artisan bakers crave in their, yeah. in their, not just their ciabattas, but in their baguettes as well. Yeah. So there's that negative space again. Um, no, and that's right. You're gonna you're gonna recrisp them now. Is that right? Yeah, I'm just gonna get toasted up, get a little bit more caramelization, um, and I really want the um, the the cut to get a little bit more dark. Kind of get a little toasty quality there. Yeah. Um, so so you mentioned lobster rolls, which of course is one of the great sandwiches of the world. Is that something we'll ever see at Raza, uh, the Raza lobster? Probably not. It's a, it's a little tricky when you start bringing seafood in and all that. But I'm, I'm into the seafood. It's the bread. Like, I want to make our own bread, right? If, yeah. if we make a sandwich, it's going to be on bread that we make. Right. Uh, and I don't, I don't know if I have the skills to make a, uh, you know, a, a good version of, of that bread. Well, it is a different kind of a bread. Much, it's usually a little softer, more like a banh mi type uh, roll. But... I don't see why you couldn't do it on, on that. Instead of throwing it back in and toasting it, you know, just go ahead and just put the lobster and all the goodies on there. But not again, a bad idea. But let's talk about that, you know, in, in terms of like, again, what the qualities of a great sandwich. So with textures and, you know, and air and all the spacing and all that, what is it that makes a, makes a bite of a sandwich explode in somebody's mouth? 
depends on what type of sandwich. You know, the sandwich is such a, a large food group that compare, you know, talking about a meatball sandwich versus a turkey sandwich versus a lobster roll, you're yeah. looking, I'm, I'm always looking for the emotional comp- component of, of a sandwich. Like, does it make me feel this sense of, of joy and, yeah. and comfort almost? Like, yeah. one of my, besides pizza and ice cream, two of my favorite foods are a grilled cheese sandwich and a bowl of chicken soup because go. they're the most comforting uh, foods that, that I grew up with. And I still crave them on a, on a rainy day or if I don't feel good, you know, not, you know, uh, it, it just brings such comfort to, to right. my thing. So, um, so even when you even say the word a meatball parm, you know, sandwich, you're already yearning for that that connection, that emotional connection, uh, an almost a nostalgic uh, experience. And, and then, you know, I think on the other side of the story is it, a sandwich offers so much promise of that, and when it doesn't deliver on that promise, then it's such a letdown. I mean, when you get a sandwich that just got a few slices of cheese and ham sliced on it with a slather of mayonnaise, and you bite into it, and you go. I'm not having my emotional, you know, catharsis right now. It's because they honor the principles. It's still pretty good. Even a bad sandwich is still pretty good. Yeah. But, but we know what's possible. And I think that's the, that's the thing that drives the artisan community and the food community these days, especially with all the exposure we have through media to what's possible in food. People want that multi-leveled experience, not just the flavored taste in your mouth, but the, the deeper connection. I mean, and that's not so easy to deliver. And that's where I start with sandwiches. You know, so it, for me, it starts with the bread and the the internal components of the sandwich are all based on either emotion and trying to create something either from my childhood or something that really comforts me, but or it's ingredient derived, right? Yeah. So. Uh, you know, if we had great octopus, I would make an awesome octopus sandwich if that was available and super fresh and, you know, or, you know, any, any vegetable from some of the farmers that we work with, that would lead me to create a certain sandwich. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's make the meatballs. Let's talk about some other sandwich possibilities that we might see at Raza. All right, let's start with the, with a beautiful let's, loaf of bread. I mean, do, let's do the crumb shot one more. End it there and just have this. Take a bite of that bread and be a very happy camper. Definitely. <laughs> All right, so then we got our pot of meatballs. All right, and we we'll always do the first one in the center. Kind of holds open the sides. In case anybody's wondering, um, and and I don't know if you have a weight, but do you have a like what what does each meatball weigh? Or how Ninety much? grams. Eight grams. How many? Ninety grams. Ninety, 90. grams per meatball. Nine zero. Yeah. Wow. That's, Good question, that, Peter. That's like four ounces of uh, almost four ounces of well three and a half ounces of meat per meatball. Yeah. All right. All right. There so it we is. Got the meatballs in. And then we have. Uh, burrata that we've actually um, just run a, a, a knife through to, to get it into manageable bites. Is this burrata that you guys make or do you get it locally or how do you, where, where do you uh, this, this one's actually from Wisconsin. Uh-huh. Okay. 
So now we're putting a, a piece of burrata in between all the meatballs. Uh, and talk about contrast here. The burrata is cold, the meatballs yeah. are hot. Yeah. And that's the first word that went through my head was contrast. When you think about that, that looking at that cheese and then the bread and the meat, the three different textures that work here already. Yep. And then just a little bit of Parmesan cheese. Brings it all together. Can we get an overhead shot? There we go. And now we're, yeah, this is, this is kind of like the shot, the Instagram shot now, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I also love this one when, when we slice it. And you get the internal view. Ooh, yeah, I'm getting real close to my screen so I can see this. Yeah, yeah, so now, yeah, there, and there's your meatball. You can even see a little bit of the bread in there in that meatball, you know, it's, which is kind of cool. Uh, so, um, so how do you eat that? I mean, is, is, it, is it something you can get your mouth around? Is it, you better take a bite for, on our behalf. Oh man, now we're all jealous. I just love the hot and cold. Yeah. I tried to bring that into some of the pizzas that we do and definitely the sandwiches. And so you're selling about a hundred and a hundred of these a day, would you say? What would you like them? How many of these a day do you sell? Right now we're doing about 32. 32, oh sorry, yeah, 32 uh, of just the meatballs? Or do you have other sandwiches that you're also putting together? We just do 32 loaves of bread and we do one sandwich a day. And when they're out, they're out. What are some of the other sandwiches that you rotate into the cycle there? Um, we've done a prosciutto, mozzarella. Prosciutto, Yeah, a little bit of arugula. That one's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and we have not put out any more because the overwhelming demand of the meatball parm. We take, when we, when we try to do another sandwich, everybody's like, ah, give me the meatball. Where's the meatball? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's when you when you have your new oven in and you can crank out more rolls, then you can offer a few, maybe three sandwiches or whatever. Uh, we've talked about vegetables. If you were doing a vegetable sandwich, you know what? How would what combination of ingredients do you think would would create a sandwich that would evoke that same kind of emotional connection? Well, so it really depends. You know, it depends on availability. Like I really, we take the same approach to sandwiches that we take towards pizza toppings, right? Um, and if eggplant is in season, you know that eggplant's gonna be phenomenal. So how do we best highlight the eggplant in a sandwich, right? So with eggplant, I would probably cut it on the thicker side uh -huh. um, and either salt it and then roast it or not salt it, maybe, maybe just roast it, maybe roast it twice. Uh -huh. um, but trying to pull the, um, the creamy aspects of the eggplant while still ma making sure it still retains some of its texture. Yeah. Eggplant is a tricky vegetable for some people to, to cook with because if you don't cook it properly and it's still leathery, then it doesn't work and it, it, it's a negative experience. Whereas, yeah. but when it's cooked right, you get that thick, the thick creamy, but yet still sort of meaty, texture then it, it's a thing of beauty i had a, a an eggplant epiphany a couple of years ago a revelation and uh ever since then i'm obsessed with eggplant i love it i can't wait till it's in season here 
Um, we're gonna because we have a we have a good sandwich coming up. I can't wait. Can't wait. Yeah, yeah. I mean, eggplant is uh, again. Once you know how to work with it, it's it's so amazing. And maybe although everyone says they love eggplant parmesan, it's still a very underappreciated vegetable in this country. I think so. And I think it's, it's so not partly because it hasn't been always been cooked properly. Yeah. Like that. Yeah, well, a, a lot of people resort to just throwing it in the deep fryer, which is not my thing. Um, yeah. But there's so many different ways to, to utilize it. We, uh, we love to put it out, you know, take the whole eggplant and char the hell out of it over charcoal and then scoop out the center so we get that smoky, the smoky but creamy, buttery interior and, uh, and then do a zillion things with it after that. Do you oil the outside first, or do you throw it right on? No, no, I don't bother because we're going to throw away the, the the skin at the end, so we don't oil the outside. But we wait. We keep turning it every. My wife actually loves doing this. She she does it more than I do, but she loves the process. Uh, and of like every five or so so minutes, giving it a little quarter turn, and you keep turning it until the whole thing kind of like turns into a mush bag. And when it gets mushy, then we throw it in a bowl, cover it with plastic wrap, let it steam for a minute. And then when it cools down, we start scooping everything out. And, uh, you know, after that, maybe we'll add some lemon juice, salt, pepper, whatever, uh, garlic. Uh, you can make baba ganoush out of it. You can do, but you can make almost anything from it. And uh, and it's a great, it can be used as a relish. You name it. I mean, I think it's it's it's, an, it's a vegetable that you can build a whole restaurant around if you were so passionate about it. It's actually a fruit. Well, is it technically a fruit? Now, okay, for, 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 the, for those of us who are ignorant about this, what differentiates a vegetable from a fruit? Uh, vegetable is the, the plant part, the, gro- the, the stalk, the, the stem, the, the root, the leaves, and a fruit is the, the fruiting body. The, the, it's the DNA component. It's the seed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, when you say it that way, then I'm doing, yeah, what did it Of course Teeny, it's yeah, yeah. all fruits. The tomatoes are fruits. Tomatoes are fruits. Well, all right, we've learned something else here today. On pizza. <laughs> not only how to make a great sandwich, but that an eggplant is not a vegetable; it is a fruit. So, so thank you for that. And uh, be, again, before we run out of time, we've been talking a lot about sandwiches. Um, uh, are there any other uh, sam- one more? Give us one more sandwich idea that you've been mulling over in your head um, that we can come back and revisit you with in the future. Ah, uh, what? The octopus sandwich is a big one. Yes. Yeah. But well, that would be amazing. I mean, where can yeah. you get an, a good octopus sandwich these days? Is a, yeah. You get it as sometimes as a nice appetizer at a Mediterranean restaurant, but uh, I've never even thought about making a sandwich. Yeah. But yeah. So we'll, we'll cut it down the slide and then, you know, all the tentacles would be wispy and sticking out of the sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be Ooh. good. Man. Ooh, that would be awesome. All right. All right. Well, we we're, when you get that one on the menu, we want to, you kept captured that here on Pizza Talk. And yeah. Dan, thank you so much for sharing this sandwich with us and kind of uh, what's the word? expanding from the from the original photo that we all saw on Instagram to the actual process and some of the thinking behind it, uh, some of the philosophy and some of the work. This is great that we were actually in the restaurant now. Last time we were in your kitchen at home and you made us a pizza. Uh, so we'll come back another time and see an actual Rasa pizza you know, made at Raza as opposed to the one in your house, uh, because again, people people travel a long way to get those pizzas, and now probably a long way to get those sandwiches, uh, because everything you're doing is really thought out. Uh, I think really it captures what what 
Pizza Quest and Pizza Talk have been about all along, which is to celebrate the artisan spirit, which is, you know, to do things the right way. It's all about flavor. It's all about uh, honoring the ingredients, honoring the craft. And uh, we love what you're doing there. So thank you for sharing all that and congratulations on all your success. Thanks, Peter. All right. And we will see all of you on another uh, segment and another edition of Pizza Talk. Keep coming back. We're going to be posting new and new uh, uh, pieces. We're going to get Dan back with our Pizza Yodis because you're now like a member of the Yodi Council of, of, uh, of experts. And uh, uh, we'll see all of you on the next episode of Pizza Talk. Thanks. Pizza Quest is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org, and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Thanks for listening.